3 and verse 19. And we're going to start there today. Acts 3 and verse 19. And uh, we'll begin there. Come on, let's give it up for Haas for being the pillar of the church, being a great drummer, being a great person. He's worthy of the honor we just gave him. Acts 3, 19 and 20. Isn't this a fun way to start? Repent. Y'all thought you were getting away because of vacation time. No, you're not getting away. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who is preached before you. But notice, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing, everybody say refreshing, may come from the presence of the Lord. And I know this is in the middle of summer, and I know some people have already tuned out church until August or September. But why don't we just start a revival in the middle of July? Can we do that? It only takes two. Really, it only takes one. But we got more than two or one. We got a church full of people this morning and in the back. That won't revival. So if you're taking notes today, this new series I'm starting is called Revival Starts With Me. Can you point at yourself for a second and say with me, Revival Starts With Me. Come on, a little bit louder. Revival Starts With Me. So that's what we're going to talk about today and the next few weeks, that Revival Starts With Me. Now I want to put a little disclaimer on these messages because there's something in the Bible called conviction and there's another thing called condemnation. Now you need to know the difference because messages like this are going to challenge you and you're going to feel uncomfortable. And that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now you need to know the difference because some people push back when they feel uncomfortable in a church service. And they need to know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Now, condemnation is from the enemy. Condemnation means you leave the service feeling beat up, feeling like that you're a failure, feeling like that you can never change. That's condemnation. That's from the enemy. But sometimes in service, you feel this thing from the Holy Spirit called conviction. And conviction means I feel uncomfortable because God's trying to put his hand on something in my life I need to change. And it's usually the thing you don't want to change that you need to change. It's usually the messages that you feel uncomfortable are the ones you need the most. And it's not from the enemy. It's actually from the Holy Spirit. It's called conviction. And he's putting his hand on something in your life saying, this needs to change And I'm going to help you change it, but you need to work with me here. And so it's not you leaving the service beat up and feeling like a failure. No, there's conviction from the Holy Spirit that will happen to all of us the rest of our lives. So if you go to a church that you never feel that, the Holy Spirit's not there. Now, I'm not saying you're going to feel uncomfortable every service the whole entire time. But I'm saying there will be messages that you need that the Holy Spirit will say, that's it, he's talking to you, and you feel uncomfortable. And that's why a lot of people leave the church and say, well, the pastor's just being mean, he's picking on me. No, actually, the Holy Spirit's trying to do something in your life, and you're resisting him. 
but he wants to help you change it, but you have to get an agreement with him to change. It's called conviction, and it's from the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about revival, which we're starting today to talk about revival, these will be messages that you'll feel some conviction. And I'm preaching this because God preaches this to me. So he makes me uncomfortable first, then I make you uncomfortable. That's the way it works as a preacher. God preaches to you first, you get called out first. And then God says, that's what you need to share to other people. Because he, God is trying to take us somewhere. God is trying to do something in our life. And guess what? The pastor or the shepherd has to take the sheep where God wants them to go and eat. So that's why we're starting a message about revival in the middle of summer. When everybody's on vacation and chilling out till the fall. Because God's trying to speak something to us. So we're going to talk today about revival starts with me. Now I want to read this verse to you again, Acts 3 and verse 19, but from the Weymouth translation. The Weymouth translation. Yeah, say that three times quick. It says, repent therefore and reform your lives. Mm, Do you feel that? Reform your lives. We're all busted. So the record of your sins may be canceled. Notice, and that there may come seasons of revival from the Lord. Repent therefore and reform your lives or change your lives. So the record of your sins may be canceled and that there may come seasons of revival from the presence of the Lord. How many could say, I I could use a good revival. I could use a good refreshing from the Lord. Well, that's what it says that when we repent and when we change and when we reform our lives to what God wants to do, it's a promise that times of refreshing and times of revival will come from the presence of the Lord when we decide that we want revival in our lives. So revival starts with me. We realize the Bible is a recording, especially the New Testament, of revivals. For the past 2,000 years, there has been revivals taking place all over this earth. We know... uh, Some specifically over the past hundred years, some of you know about the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival, which was over a hundred years ago, started in Los Angeles, California. And what happened was the Holy Spirit got poured out. And like never before, people were being spirit-filled. People were speaking in other tongues. Now, there would always been people that spoke in tongues, but the revival happened in not just people in one part of the world, but that spread worldwide. And the spirit-filled church came awake again. And that's why today the, 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 growing, the most growing part and the most thriving part of the church of Jesus Christ is Pentecostals and Charismatics. Some would say there's seven to 800 million Pentecostals and Charismatics across the earth. Now there's about 2.2 billion Christians in the world, but about seven or 800 of them are Charismatic Pentecostal people that believe what the Bible says, and that started 100 years ago. Now, once again, we know there's always spirit-filled people throughout church history, but as a whole for the entire world, Azusa Street Revival started that, and there was healings and miracles that took place, and there was people being spirit-filled, and God was reviving His church. Revival. Reviving His church and His people. And we know uh, also in the past hundred years there was the healing revival. Some of you know about all the different healing evangelists that traveled 
especially the United States of America, people like Oral Roberts and Kenneth E. Hagan and T.L. Osborne, and we know all these great men and women of God who traveled the world. And they had tent revivals, and everywhere they went, they saw people healed supernaturally. Some of these men of God would pray for thousands of people every night. Every night. And they would see thousands of people getting saved and getting healed and getting set free. That was a revival, the healing revival. We know that in the 60s and 70s, there was something called the charismatic renewal or the charismatic revival where people from all different denominations were being spirit-filled. People were becoming spirit-filled Catholics and spirit-filled Baptists and spirit-filled Methodists and spirit-filled Presbyterians. Some of you came into our church and that's when our church started during that period of time, during the charismatic renewal, that you knew there was more of God and God was trying to reveal himself. And so the charismatic renewal, and we know after that came the teaching revival. The teaching revival where great men and women of God would teach the word of God like never before. And that's when cassette tapes started to come out. And so that was new. You guys don't realize, some of you don't even know what cassette tapes are. I just barely got in on the cassette tape thing. Uh, but cassette tapes came uh, into, the, into the world, and they were actually able to listen to the message outside of the service. That was new. That never happened before. And so people would go to these conferences, and then they'd buy 100 different cassette tapes and listen to the Word of God. And that's when the teaching revival was happening. And then books started coming out, and study and study series started coming out, and then you noticed the body of Christ around the world, what was happening, because they were actually being taught. The body of Christ started growing up. Because they haven't had that level of teaching until that time. And now we see that for years and years, the teaching revival has happened. But God always saves the best for last. And we know that God has prophesied this through men and women of God all throughout the earth, that the last revival that would happen would be a combination of all the above. Teaching revival, the charismatic revival, the revivals of healings and miracles. God would do everything that he did before, but more, before he comes back. Now, can I tell you, church, that's the day that we're living in today. That's the day we're living in today, is the day... That God wants to do all those revivals together, but he's looking for people who will cooperate with him. He's looking for people that will respond to the Spirit of God to move with him. Revival starts with me. Notice it says seasons of revival and refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. You guys getting something so far today? And so revival starts with me. Now, the reason we titled this is because if revival doesn't start with you, who does it start with? If revival doesn't start with you, who does it start with? See, that's the problem with the church. Not just this church, the church. That's the problem with believers. They never make it personal. That's why God never does anything in their life. Because revival starts with me because if it doesn't start with you, who does it start with? 
And what happens is churches and people are waiting on a move of God the rest of their life because they're waiting on God to move. Or they're waiting on somebody else in the church to move who's more excited than they are. Well, until so-and-so takes a lap, then I'm going to have revival. No, revival starts with you. And the worst is church people waiting on God to do something. God has already done something. God already wants to do something. But he's waiting on people to respond to him. We are co-laborers with God. He has his part, but we have our part. That's where revival starts with me. you got to make it personal. Because you know what will happen? You will wait the rest of your life and not see God move and then blame God at the end of your life like he didn't do anything. And he's saying, I was waiting on you all along. Well, I was waiting on pastor to do something. Nope, revival starts with me. I was waiting on Brother Les to do something. No, revival starts with me. I was waiting for the prayer team at church to get it together. No, revival starts with me. I was waiting on the Corey group to get excited because they're young people and we make them do everything around here anyways. No, revival starts with you. you got to take it personal. There's a reason why people don't want to take it personal because they don't want to take responsibility for their own lack of spiritual life. It starts with me. You feel that? That's conviction. It's a good hurt, though. It feels good, and it hurts at the same time. Revival starts with me. you got to make it personal. Trust me. Listen to what I'm saying. If you don't, you will wait the rest of your life for God to do something, and he won't. Come on, I don't know if you're hearing this the way I'm feeling this. You will wait the rest of your life on somebody else in church to do something, and you'll miss it until you take it personal and say revival starts with me first, in my heart, in my life first. And you know what? When I catch on fire, when revival gets in me, guess what? It's going to spread to other people. But how much more a whole church that has the same mindset and the same mentality that they're not waiting on each other, they're all in revival together. Living like a church should really live. Living like the early church, the book of Acts, that they all took personal responsibility for their own spiritual life and said, revival starts with me. Healing starts with me. People being spirit-filled starts with me. They weren't waiting on preachers to do that kind of stuff. They realized that God had called them and anointed them, and revival starts with me. Now, if we wait for other people to stir us up, wait for God to do something in our life, we'll miss it. Because we have to take inventory of our spiritual life. Now, when I say that, a lot of you feel that conviction. But realize God is not convicting you to beat you up like you're a failure, he wants to do something so bad. He's trying to stir you up, not because he's like, why aren't you spending time with me? Why aren't you in revival? You need to straighten yourself up. He knows how much is going to help you. That's why he's trying to stir you up and convict you to do something. Because he wants to help your life, but he realizes until you get stirred up, and get convicted, and you want reviving, nothing will change for the better in your life. So he's not convicting you to beat you up and tell you, yeah, you're not that good spiritually, you don't, you don't pray like you should, you don't read your Bible like you should. Because some people preach it from that perspective, and that's wrong. 
No, God's looking out for your best interest. He's looking out for what's best for you. And he realizes until you take inventory of your spiritual life and start doing something with it, he can't do what he wants to do in your life. And if we were honest today from the front to the back, you would be more mindful of your spiritual life because you don't realize out of your spiritual life comes the rest of your life. But a lot of times we put our spiritual life last. And we wonder why we have the problems we have because out of your spirit comes the rest of your life. But you think focusing on your job is fixing the problem. You think focusing on other stuff will fix the problem. You think just going to counseling will fix the problem. No, it won't. Because out of your spiritual life flows the rest of your life. Come on, are you here today? But notice, we don't put an emphasis on our spiritual life. And we're wondering why we have issues in other parts of our life. We, don't, we wonder why we don't have the joy and the peace that we want. We know we, why we have issues in other areas. It's because we neglect our spiritual life for other things, not realizing that's the root of all the issues. If you knew that, you would put the most effort into your spiritual life with God. Because what it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Out of your spirit is the way the rest of your life flows. It's that simple. If you take care of your spiritual life, everything else in your life will get in line. God said, seek me first, and all the rest of these things will be added unto you. Now, when we get it out of order, that's why we have issues, isn't it? Revival starts with me. Our spiritual life is the most important thing. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. You get paid to say that. Yes, I do. But I wasn't always paid to say this, and I still believe the same thing. Out of your spirit flows the issues of life. Once again, let's be honest. A lot of us put our spiritual life last. You know why? Because a lot of times your spiritual life, you don't always see immediate results. A lot of things spiritual, notice they're in the unseen realm. And so sometimes we neglect those things because we don't see the same results we see in other natural things we invest in. But just because it's unseen doesn't make it unimportant. Because it ultimately is affecting the rest of your life. Out of your spirit flows everything else. But what happens when we analyze our spiritual life, we have to get honest with ourselves. And what happens? Conviction. And most people run from that. And then God puts his hand on an issue in your life and you say, it's easier for me to just ignore this than to change. So, if we want revival in our lives and in our church, in our families, at our jobs, it starts with us. And we have to get honest enough to admit our spiritual life is where it is. And I'm not going to pick too much today because we're all Americans in here. God bless America. <laughs> but American believers are the worst. 
Sorry. We're all in that category. I'm not going to pick too much on you, but American believers, considering the whole world, they're the worst. Because they live in such comfort and blessing. They live in such abundance, it's easier for them to ignore their spiritual life. It's easier for them to ignore the Spirit of God prompting them. It's not like other countries because in America, if you get sick, you don't got to believe God. Go to the doctor. If you run out of money, go to the bank. You don't got to believe God. If you have an issue, go to a counselor. You don't have to believe God. No, all those things are blessings, but blessings can turn into cursings when we make them God. And that's why American believers usually have the most issue with revival. There's revival in other countries today, right now. But the blessings and comfort that God gives you, if you're not careful, can turn into your God. Now, why did God say so many times in the Old Testament? Didn't he warn us in the Old Testament a million times? He said, when I bring you into the land of milk and honey, and I, and I prosper you, and I give you houses you didn't build, and I give you rivers you didn't dig, and I give you all these blessings in abundance, and I give you the new job and the new wife and the new car, and I give you all these things. He says, don't forget me. Now, why did he say that? Because he knew it was going to happen. Now, read all the Old Testament. He said it. A ton of times to God's people, he said, now when you get there, don't forget me. When you get there, remember who did it. Remember me. Why? Because he knew the tendency for all of us is when God blesses us, when we live in abundance, when we live in comfort, the tendency is to make that God and forget about our spiritual life and the true source of all those blessings. Come on, I feel like you're with me today. And so really, to be honest, we know that those blessings and comfort, even though they're from God, can turn on us. And they make us apathetic in our spiritual life. Because we don't think we really need God. Even though we do, we don't think we really need God. Now we just came out of camp, which camp is a mountaintop experience. Now, camp is one of those times, like it says in the Gospels, Jesus and his disciples went up on the mountain transfiguration, and they all started glowing. (laughs) And his disciples said, Jesus, can we just stay here? Because it's a lot nicer up here. And that's what we used to say at camp. Can we just stay here without the food? We need somebody else to bring us food. (laughs) But we say, can we just stay here? Why? Because there's no distractions. There's no cell phones, there's no TV, there's no school we have to do, there's no job we have to go to. All that there is, is getting to be with each other and the presence of God. And so, we, a lot of us just, there's about 200 of us, we just came out of camp, and camp is a mountaintop experience, Mount of Transfiguration. And we all say, can't we live here? But Jesus said, no, we can't. Because that's not life. But then there's the other extreme of believers who live in the valley all the time. And trust me, you will have mountaintop experiences the rest of your life. Conferences, camps, special meetings, retreats, 
services. There will be mountaintop experiences. We don't live there. We appreciate them. How many know they give us a good boost? They give us a good kick in the pants. Wake us up out of spiritual apathy. But we also don't live in the valley. Some believers live in the valley all day long. That that is their duty and their honor to suffer every day for the Lord. To be an example of suffering and moping around and I'm a victim and I'm sick because God's trying to teach me something and I'm poor because God blesses those who are poor and I'm this and I'm that. And they live in the valley all their life. God doesn't want you there either. But revival is somewhere in the middle. Because you receive those mountaintop experiences, but when you come back, you don't hit a valley immediately. Revival is something that God can do in your life all the time. You can live in revival. That's why it says there will be seasons of revival when you get in the presence of the Lord. You can live in revival if you want to. And that's the will of God for our lives. If we were constantly in a state of repentance and reforming our life to the way that God thinks and the way that God lives, His Word said there will be times and seasons of refreshing and revival from the presence of the Lord. So that means if we're constantly in that posture, we could constantly be in that place of revival and refreshing. Now let's just be honest, most people don't live there. But just because most people don't live there doesn't mean it's not true. Come on now somebody. We know better than that around here. We don't base our beliefs off experience. We base it off the word of God. And just because most people don't live there doesn't mean it's not possible to live in a place of revival and refreshing all the days of our lives. That doesn't mean we're not going to have seasons where we feel certain things or valleys or tough times. But we can still live in revival and refreshing even through those things. Now some of you don't believe me right now. Now... (laughs) When I say revival, that doesn't mean you're waking up every day having a Holy Ghost fit. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Just as soon as you get up out of bed. That doesn't mean you're just doing like war tongues for two hours at work. That doesn't mean you're doing backflips every day when you go to school. No, because when we think revival is just that, everybody's going to say, well, I can't do that. I would get exhausted from living that way. But that's not just revival. God brings revival into our life to refresh us and to give us new life. Here's a definition of revival I wrote down. A revival is a restoration or a reawakening of life, of vigor, of importance, and strength. One of the definitions I wrote down here. A revival is a restoration or a reawakening of life, of vigor, of importance, and strength to the things that really matter. That is what a revival is. So we don't live in the mountaintop. We appreciate mountaintop experiences, but we also don't live in the valley. We can live in a season of refreshing and revival. Now, God doesn't decide that. I'm trying to give you a balanced view of this. God doesn't decide this for you. Once again, if you're waiting on Him, you go keep waiting. 
Because God gave you a free will and a free choice. You can have as much of Him as you want. You could have as little of Him as you want. That's your choice. Even though He knows what's best for you and He wants what's best for you, He will let you choose because you have a free will. Now hopefully you're receiving this because this is some balance because some people will preach it like the Holy Spirit just takes over and gives you revival and you have no control or say in it. But that's not true. You have a part to play. I love this quote. It says, There will be no true hunger for revival until we see how desperately we need it. We will never move into revival as long as we're willing to live without it. There will be no true hunger for revival until we see how desperately we need it. We will never move into revival as long as we're willing to live without it. Something that I realized going through, actually I asked Dad and Mr. Jim, both for their notes about revival. Just so I could see what they wrote down. See different quotes, different scriptures through the years. And there's four words that in all the stuff I studied kept coming back about revival. You want to know those four words? And they all kind of flow together. Some of them even mean similar things. The four words that I always saw that was connected to revival are these. Two start with the letter D. Two start with the letter H. Humility, hunger, desire, desperation. Humility, hunger, desire, desperation. You don't got to answer this. Think about your spiritual life right now. Don't got to answer. In your heart and mind, think about those four words. Does that describe your spiritual life at all? What's that? That's conviction right there. Humility, hunger, desire, desperation. Humility, hunger, desire, desperation. Does that describe your spiritual life? Since you're thinking about it, I'll answer for myself. I'm not usually that way. I love God. I love being in church. My whole life is church. It always has been. For 31 years, it's been church. It's been God. I love it. I don't resent it. But I know just like you, I can get in seasons where I'm not as hungry as I used to be. Why? Because everything's okay in my life. I'm not as desirous of Him because I don't need Him as much, or so I think. I'm not as desperate as I should be. Or maybe some of us in here, because God has gifted you, and you forgot it was Him that gifted you in the first place, that we forget He's the one who gave me the gift in the first place, and I've been walking in pride. Come on, are you hearing my heart today? Because revival starts with me. I could think about this for myself. I've been preaching full time since I was 18 years old. I'm 31 years old. That's a long time. I was preaching youth rallies before that, and we've destroyed the evidence. (laughs) The only person who knows it is me and Bruce. Nobody else knows what it is. 
Oh, you got something? We're going to have to destroy that too. <laughs> but you know what? I could think, because I'm a young man, I'm a pretty good preacher. <laughs> I could think, because I'm a young man, and I've been doing this a while, I'm a pretty good public speaker. I'm a pretty good preacher and teacher. People like to listen to me. They get excited when I preach. Now, trust me, this is not a humble brag. Just listen to what I'm saying. But you know what? That's pride. Because the truth is this. I couldn't put two words together unless God anointed me to do so. And you could compliment me and say, Pastor Jordan, I really appreciate your preaching. You're a really good preacher. You have a lot of years of practice so far, which I do. There's been a lot of preaching going on for the past 13 years. But I know at the end of the day, when I go back there after this service and people say, Pastor Jordan, you did a great job. Oh, we love you as our pastor. You, you just do an awesome job. And, you know, I've had young people tell me, my friends, which I appreciate this, they're like, man, you could speak at Love is Red. You could speak at those conferences. We, we love you. We see you doing that. You know what I think in my head? I couldn't do any of it without the grace of God. But think about that for your life. You need to remind yourself sometimes. No, you're not all that in a bag of chips. You're not just so smart and so good. You are, but it was God who gave you that. And sometimes we start walking in pride and forget, no, he's the one who gave me this gift in the first place. And that goes back to the word humility. Why? Because it says pride comes before fall. And you got to remind yourself, no, just like Devon, Amzi, Megan, Janet, Miss Diana, some of the other girls in here that sing, yeah, you do a good job, but it's not from you. All you musicians who are skilled, good job, but it's not you. The grace of God gave you that gift. You couldn't even be breathing oxygen today unless God gave you breath in your lungs. But we need to remind ourselves... No. God graced us. God gifted us. And what happens? We get back into that place of humility again. Come on, can we all, we all can do that. We all start thinking it's us. It's our education. It's our smarts. We did it. Now, we had a part to play, but it's ultimately God. But notice when we live in that place of humility, knowing, no, it's God who graced me. It's God who's doing that. Humility attracts revival. Desire attracts revival. Hunger attracts revival into your life. Desperation for what God wants to do attracts revival. You guys get something today. Desire is something that we can cultivate. So many people say, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to study. I don't want to listen to podcasts. I don't desire it. Well, how do you desire it? Whatever you give yourself to, your desires will follow. Good or bad. 
You know, some of y'all in the world, you knew this to be true. When you smoked your first cigarette, it was nasty. It made you throw up. It was disgusting. But what you gave yourself to, your desires were follow, even though it was killing you. Same way with alcohol. The first drink you ever took wasn't good. But what you gave yourself to, your desires followed. If it's good in the wrong, it's good in the right. And with your spiritual life, whatever you give yourself to, your desires will follow. When you start reading the word when it doesn't make sense, and you start studying it when you don't feel it, guess what? You start stirring up desire. And then you got to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And then once you stop or miss a day, you're going to miss it. Because now you desire it. But you got to give yourself to it first. How many know you got to worship when you don't feel like it? Because it starts getting desires stirred up on the inside of your heart. You got to start listening to podcasts and teaching. You got to start getting around the right friends that are going to challenge you, not applaud you for being lukewarm. I don't want to hang out with you because you convict me. I want to be just as generic and average a Christian as you are. Christian bumper sticker people. Christian radio. Those kind of Christians. Christian t-shirt people. The generic, vanilla, American Christian. Don't convict me. Ooh, it's quiet in this Methodist church. Getting around the right people. That stir up those things. You got to give yourself to it and your desires will follow. You got to give yourself to it and your desires will follow. How do we stir up desire for God and revival and His plan? You got to give yourself to it. Are you still listening to what I'm saying today? Whatever you give yourself to, your desires will follow, good or bad. It's a principle. God set it out that way. And we know it's true for everything in our lives. Whatever we give ourselves to, our desires will follow. Here's something else to think about. Whatever we give ourselves to, our desires will follow. That's why sometimes when we come into church and we get in an environment like this, it doesn't really affect us like it should. Why? Because all week long, We've been giving ourselves to other things. So it's awkward to come into the presence of God. You're like, oh, hey, I haven't done this all week. Hey, God, I didn't forget you. I didn't forget you. Why? We've been giving our desires to everything else, and that's what we want. So then I get up and preach about revival, and a lot of you are thinking in your head right now or in your heart, yeah. Why? Because your desires are over here right now. Because you've been desiring other things. It could be your career. It could be your hobbies. It could be the radio. It could be Netflix. It could be ESPN. It could be your shopping. It could be anything else that you consume your life with, your education. And that's what you're thinking all week. And then you think, if I give God two hours on a Sunday, your desires are going to change. No, they're not. They're not. 
you're just getting a good little pep talk so you can go home and live the same way next week. Whatever you give yourself to, your desires will follow. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying today? Whatever you give yourself to, your desires will follow. And that's what I don't want it to be for you guys, it, for it to be awkward when you come in here because your desires have been somewhere else all week. I mean, when you always get in your car and you always listen to the secular radio every time you're in your car, that's why it's awkward when you come into worship. Because your desires are something else than worship. When you're listening to ESPN all day and somebody gets up and reads, reads scriptures and verses and you can't remember them but you can remember all the scores from ESPN, the problem is you just desire that more. And it's awkward. But how bad do you want it? Desperation, desire, hunger, humility. Come on, are you hearing my heart today? Desperation, desire, hunger, humility. we got to realize our need for Him all the time. All the time. If we live in a mindset and a mentality of our need for Him, we will always stay in a place of revival and refreshing because we realize that no matter what's going on in our life, good or bad, we need Him. You still here? i got a few more things I want to say and want to close today. Because revival starts with me. For the American believer, which we are, I know this is convicting, I'm talking to myself too. We live in comfort and blessing so much, sometimes we forget the source of it all. We get caught up in life. We all do. We get caught up in other priorities that are not God. Not evil, but not God. And then we lose that sense of revival, refreshing. We lose our spiritual edge because we get out of focus. It's easy for us to be desperate and desirous of God when something bad goes wrong. I've done it. When you're sick and you got a bad doctor's report, you worship different. A couple amens and a couple grunts. You don't just sit in service like, now you do when everything's going well. But when you got a bad doctor's report, you worship different. Why? Because you feel like you need God. When you got a bill to pay and you can't pay, oh my gosh. <laughs> when you got a raise at work, because you think you don't need him. I know in my life when I was suffering with anxiety and depression, I worshiped different when I was here. 
because I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to lose my mind. So I worship differently here when everything's going right. Desperation. Desire. But we need to realize no matter what we're going through, good or bad, we need God equally. We need His presence. We need His power. We need Him to help us live, to help us breathe, to help us go to work, to help us have families, to help us do what we're called to do. We need Him equally as bad as we do when we get a bad report. But we just don't think in our mind we do, but we really do. And what if we were consistent all the time with that desperation, desire, hunger, and humility, what God could do in your life? If you weren't just waiting for something bad to happen in your life, then you're going to worship. Then you've got to get in the prayer line. Desperation. Realizing if God didn't give you breath in the morning, you wouldn't have breath. If he didn't help your mind function, you wouldn't even be able to move out of bed in the morning. No, God gave you everything you have, and it's a gift. Come on, are you here in my heart today? I love you today, but I'm just trying to stir you up. God's been convicting me, so I'm convicting you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to live in this place of desire, desperation, hunger, and humility. If we live our life like that with God... We will live in a place of refreshing and revival. Here's something real quick before I close. Revival comes to revive the once alive. You know I rapped, but I do. (laughs) Hear me again. Revival comes to revive the once alive. See, revival doesn't happen to people that are not believers. Now follow me here. Revival is for the church. Revival is for the body of Christ. Revival is for the children of God. And revival comes, revive. That means you were once vibed. Revive. He comes and revives the once alive. Because a lot of Christians get on spiritual life support. And God has to come through a preacher by his Holy Spirit. And he has to get the paddles out and says, alive. (laughs) Wake up. Do something with your life. God wants to revive you. And God has to spiritually get out those paddles to the once alive. And he revives us. Come on, does anybody want this other than Mr. Jim Ziegler? So revival is for the church, which is you guys. He comes to revive the once alive. And he revives you back to the place. Remember when you first got saved? Now, you wanted to come to church. Nobody had to beg you. You wanted to clean the toilets. Nobody had to beg you. You wanted to move tables and chairs. Nobody had to beg you. You wanted to pray. You wanted to read the Bible. You wanted to witness. You wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. Why? Because you were alive. 
Where's my organ player when I need him? <laughs> and he revives you back to that place when you were first alive. Come on, does anybody need that in here? <laughs> God can do it. And he revives you by his spirit. Preachers help. Worship helps. But it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that revives you. And you know what's happening today? There will be people in here that get revived and there are people that will go away the same. Whose decision is that? That's yours. You say, ah, Pastor preached about revival. I didn't feel anything. Yeah, you didn't because you didn't want it. You didn't care. You feel like you don't need it. When you need it the most, Mr. Grumpy. Once again, God's not going to force it on you. He's not going to force you. He's a gentleman. He only comes to people that have desire, desperation, hunger, and humility. That's who he comes to. And he revives the once alive. So many of us live our lives on Christian life support. And we wonder why our lives are the way it are, the way it is. And that God's will and God's plan is not being accomplished in our life. It's because we're trying to live this life without His Spirit making us alive. Whew. <laughs> Revival starts with me. I want to share one last thing before we close. It's 1154, sweet Jesus. <laughs> I know I preached a long time, but hopefully I helped you today. You got some reviving, didn't you? You feel it. You're almost like a Pentecostal shake. <laughs> oh, I'm alive. You know, that's why when people are dying, they hit certain parts of their body to make sure they're alive. Because you got to do a little movement to make sure you're still there. God wants to revive the once alive. And this is just a start. We're going to keep talking about this on Sunday mornings. I want to say one last thing, and we're going to continue this the next several weeks. Hopefully you guys got something today. Well, mom got something today. I don't know about the rest of you. Here's a question. So what would you say is, out of any book of the Bible, is a book of revival? Anybody? Acts. You're right. You're right. The book of Acts is an account of the early church and revival. Because he was reviving the once alive. And I want to give you, before we go any further... One of the main points and main reasons why God revives the once alive. Why God revives his church and brings revival. Why does he do that? Revival starts with me, but it's not about me. It starts with me, but it's not about me. So many believers will make revival into something selfish. No, revival starts with you, but it's not about you. It's about who you're going to affect when you come alive. That's who it's about. 
So revival starts with you, but it's not about you. And you see in the book of Acts, this is what you see. You see when these believers were revived, what happened? The church was growing. The church was thriving. People were being healed. People were being delivered and set free. People were being spirit-filled. And there was people added to the church daily. People getting saved. People getting set free. So revival starts with me, but it's not about me. It's bigger than me. And just like the book of Acts, what happened? They realized that revival wasn't just for them. God revives you for a purpose. God heals you for a purpose. God blesses you for a purpose. God saves you for a purpose. God does that in your life on purpose, for a purpose, because it's bigger than you. And you know what happens? He says, I need to revive them so their neighbor will come to know me. I need to revive them so they'll have revival at their workplace. I need to revive them so their family will get back together. I need to revive them so their school will be changed for my glory. So yes, you receive something for God, but it's not just about you. Revival starts with me, but it's not just about me. Revival starts with me. Come on, did you guys get anything today? Come on, let's get the praise team to come back up here for a second. Come on, I can't just let you walk out without doing something. Come on, let's play Do It Again. That's a fitting song for today. Come on, do you receive?